You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. What's up, Christ Walk? How's everybody doing? So, so, so good to see you all here on this first Sunday in June. I feel like this this year is just flying by, and it's officially hot and summer and sweaty. And um, but yeah, I love it. I love it here in in Florida. It's gonna be a, gonna be a good summer. I'm excited about today. I'm excited about continuing um, our message series this morning. So if you got your Bible um, or perhaps a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to a couple different places. Um, both of these are in the New Testament. So we're going to, we'll start off in Matthew chapter 19. Um, That's the very first book of the New Testament, the gospel of Matthew. Um, We call those first four books of the New Testament the gospels because gospel means good news. And those first four books tell the good news of the story, uh, the life and uh, and teachings of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be there in Matthew 19. And then eventually we'll get to... Paul's letter to the Philippians, which is a little bit further into the New Testament in Philippians chapter 2. So um, turn to Matthew 19, hold a place there, Philippians 2, hold a place there, and we'll land there in just a minute. Um, I, anybody glad that school's out? Anybody? A couple of the, couple of the teenagers in here were like fist pumping, and um, I thought one of them was about to run the aisle. They were so excited. Which would be totally fine and understandable. Um, yeah, school, I'm glad that school's out. One of the reasons that I'm glad that school is out is because I don't have to sit in that stupid car line anymore. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Like, car line is a great way to get your finger on the pulse of whether or not you're living right. Um, and I've come to the conclusion that the car line at my son's school that they need to consult the Chick-fil-A drive through crew um, instead of Ray Charles, who they apparently consulted to try to... F- Some of y'all get that on the way home. Um, so it, at, at my son's school, we have... There's, there's one lane that then turns into two lanes and then eventually converges into five different convergence points, all trying to get back into this one lane and the reason it sounds crazy is because it is and so um and 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 the little the little teeny boppers who just get their driver's license are always in my way and so what happens is 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 you get you you go from one lane and then you have to split um, into people that are picking kids up from the school or the, like if you've already got a child or you're the, you're the, the kid that attends there, you know, junior, senior, whatever, and you have driving privileges. And so that goes into two lanes and then it comes back down to where like everybody's trying to get back into this one lane to leave and, and exit the school. And very quickly, as soon as school is out, it turns into literally bumper to bumper. And we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's like, you know, you, you just, you move up this far and you move up this far. And, and as sure as the world, I will get Luke in the car when I pick him up. And I'm trying to merge over to get back into that one lane. And the car that is next to me will like hit the gas and zoom up. Because they don't want me to get over in front of them. 
You're talking about wanting to get out of the vehicle and lay hands on someone. And I'm not talking about like in a spiritual kind of way. Like not letting, like where are you going to go? The next car is just right there. And we, we play this little game. And so eventually I get over and then I try to set the example because I got that Christ walk sticker on the back of my truck. And so like I let this guy out and I let this person out and I let this person out and I look at the person in the rearview mirror and they are like red faced and fuming, you know, smokes coming out everywhere. But it's this idea that I just like me, like that person having this idea that, that like them getting somewhere like where they've got to go is so much more important than everybody else that they are unwilling to, to let one car length in front of them. It doesn't make any sense to me. But, but it's actually this innate thing that, that we were born with. You know, I talked a little bit last week about how we're just born into selfishness. Like, that's the power of sin in our life. It's, it's this, this selfish outlook that we have. And, and, um, and, and not only are we born with this, but it's often reinforced in other circles of our life. That, that, uh, and, and parents will even tell their kids, you know, you got to look out for number one. Right? Like, that's what we think. Like, I gotta look out for number one because we've come to believe this lie that if I don't take care of me, then who else will? Right? And so I gotta look out for number one and it's all about me and where I'm trying to go and what I've gotta get to up to the point that we're not even willing to let someone merge over in front of us in the school car line. That's right. Help us, Jesus. So today we're in part six of a series called DNA, where we've been taking a look at the core values of Christ Walk Church. And it's important for us to to look at these things so that we can be on the same page together in regard to the kind of culture that we are trying to create at this church, but then also what the expectations are for the people that are going to attend here and call Christ Walk Church home. So we've spent some time in the past talking about our core values of Jesus is our message. People are our mission. Honor is our calling. Authenticity is our lifestyle. Generosity is our identity. And if you, if you didn't hear any of those messages or, or weren't able to be here, weren't able to join us online, you can go back to our podcast, go back to um, our YouTube channel, and you can find those. Um, and I would highly encourage you to do so, uh, to catch up, because today we're talking about core value number six of eight. So we've still got two weeks to go after this. But core value number six, servanthood is our posture. Servanthood is our posture. And here's what Jesus said in, starting at Matthew chapter 19, verse 28 through 30. Um, Jesus replied, uh, he said, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers, he's talking to his disciples, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother 
or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So when the, when the kingdom of God is fully come, many who consider themselves or whom we might even look at to be the greatest now, they're going to be of least important then. They're, they're maybe at the highest, the pinnacle now, but they're going to be at the lowest point then. And, and, and those who appear to be the lowest now will actually be the greatest then. And, and, and in the, the next chapter in Matthew 20, Jesus continues this thought. So let's skip down to Matthew 20, verse 17. It says, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die, and then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Verse 20. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, also known as the sons of Thunder, came to Jesus with her sons, and she knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? he asked. And she replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. And Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Verse 24. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Everybody say different. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, there's a lot of interesting things in this passage. And the first of them that I see is that James and John, the sons of thunder, they were afraid to approach Jesus on their own. They had to hide behind their mama's skirt and say, hey, mom, will you you do this for us? And so Jesus has just communicated to everyone, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested and they are going to kill me. And James and John are like, yeah, that's great. So when that happens, can we sit on your right and your left? Like, really? Like, that's what we're making this about? They're going to kill me, and you're making it about you, and you're getting your mom to come and do the dirty work for you. And, and the other disciples, when they hear what happened, it says they became indignant, not because of the question that James and John had their mother ask. They became indignant because they didn't think of it first. That's why they're upset. 
So you have the 12 that are, that, that are around him, and Jesus communicates what is about to happen. And they are all in a tizzy over jockeying for position, over where we're going to be in the afterlife. And, and this, this request that comes from Salome, uh, ultimately from James and John via their mother Salome, um, it, it actually, it's, it's interesting, this, this question, it takes a lot of faith for them to even ask this question because they're asking it based off of what Jesus had said in that passage we read from Matthew 19 where he was talking about in the fullness of the kingdom, 12 thrones are going to be established that you all, my followers, are going to sit on and judge the kingdom, the nations of Israel. And so for them to not fully understand what was taking place, they had to have great faith that what Jesus was saying was actually true. But they missed the point of what he was communicating. And, and even though their question took great faith, it was fueled by improper motives. See, they wanted the crown that came along with being Jesus' follower, but they didn't want the cross, or they didn't understand the cross. See, in the, in the kingdom, serving is what precedes success. It's what Jesus was trying to communicate to them. And and before one can exercise authority, they must first submit to authority. That's why Jesus said, if anyone is going to come after me and to be my follower, he must forsake himself. He must give up his own life and take up his cross and follow me. We don't get the crown before we get the cross. So the cross always comes first. And the reason Jesus was able to to speak from that place of authority is because he was willing to go to the cross. That was his mission. That's why he was there. And so they had missed the point of that. And and instead, what was taking place was this battle that you and I face every single day. It is a tug of war that takes place in our soul, in our heart, in our mind. It is the tug of war between selfishness and selflessness. And, and it's, it's, all about, it's all about the outlook that we have. And an outlook is simply the lens through which we view something. So if we take a selfish outlook and we view things through the lens of selfishness and how it benefits me and my place and my position, the end result of that is going to, to be selfish behaviors. But if we take a selfless outlook... And we view things through the lens of how we can, how we can help and minister to. And, and we view things through a lens that is focused on others instead of ourselves. It's those around us. Then the end result will be a posture of servanthood. And the outlook of selfishness causes us to look at things the way the world looks at them. But the outlook of selflessness causes us to look at things the way Jesus looked. And what he told his disciples in this passage, he said, but among you, 
He's talking about those who were, were his followers. And so if you're here this morning and you, you claim to be a follower of Christ, he's talking to you as well. Among you, it will be different. In other words, we in the kingdom, we're not going to conduct ourselves with the same kind of behavior, the same way that the world does. Among, among all of us, among you, those of you who follow me, it's going to be different. It's going to look different than the world. And he, he says it will be different. Not among you, it should be different. Or it can be different. No, he says, among you, it will be different. And I read this as a command. Not a suggestion, not a wouldn't it be great if. He's saying, for those of you who are truly my followers, among you, it will be different. And that is an indicating factor as to whether or not we are truly a disciple of Jesus. Leaders must be servants. You can't be a leader if you're not willing to serve. Those who want to be first must actually be last. You've got to let that person merge in front of us. That's what it means to be a servant. I love this quote from Rich Wilkerson Jr., the pastor of Voo Church in Miami. He says, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. If serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. And Jesus, he even said it himself. He said, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give up his life as a ransom for many. If if there was anyone that deserved to have it his way, You know, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. If there was anyone that deserved to have it his way, it was Jesus. But he said, my mission, my purpose, my intention, the whole reason I'm here is to serve. It's not about me. It's about me emptying myself and giving up my life for all of you. And Paul talks about this in Philippians 2. Maybe you've, you've turned there, you've got a finger there, whatever. You can swipe there really quickly. Starting in verse 1, Paul talks about this in light of how we as the church, as believers, how we are to, to follow this example that was set for us by Jesus all the way back in what he was saying in Matthew 20. And Paul says, starting with verse 1, Philippians chapter 2, he says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Verse 5. This is the linchpin of this passage right here. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We've already talked about what that attitude was. He says, that's the kind of attitude that you need to have. That very same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Verse 6, though he was God, 
He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. And instead, he gave up his divine privileges or he emptied himself and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You may not be willing to lower yourself right now, but the day is coming that you are going to bow to him. You are going to serve. You are going to take second place. It is on the way. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's skip down to verse 17. He says, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Now, it's, it's in this passage that Paul highlights four particular characteristics of Jesus, especially as it relates to him being a servant. This is things that, that Jesus was or things that he, he did that I believe that what Paul is saying is that We need to pattern our lives after this example as well. When he says, you should have the same attitude, and here's the attitude that he had. So you should should fashion your lifestyle after this as well. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Four characteristics of Jesus Paul talks about in Philippians 2. Number one, Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself. C.S. Lewis says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It means that instead of focusing on our own needs and the, the things that, that we have, we, we, we shift our outlook like we talked about and we begin to look at who are the, where are the needs that are taking place in the world around me. And, and the, the, way, the way that we begin to humble ourselves, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a very simple process. Um, you see a need, and then you meet the need. Like, that's ultimately what it means to be a servant. Like, you, you see a need in the life of someone else, and then you do whatever you can to meet that need. This isn't really like, I mean, this is not like mind-blowing stuff here. It's very simple and practical but yet we find it awfully difficult. Well, who are we looking for then? The question is, who are we looking for to to meet the needs of? We talked about it before. We're looking for people that are far away from God, but close to us. They're far away from God, but they're close to us. They've got needs in their life, and we see those needs and we meet those needs. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone at your office, your workplace. Maybe it's someone in your school. Maybe they're in your neighborhood. I, I don't, maybe you run into them at the grocery store. Maybe it's someone that you don't even know, but you just, you see a need and you meet a need. It doesn't have to be anything like super grandiose. I mean, maybe it would be. 
You've got to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But, but seeing a need and meeting a need can, can look very simple as like, you know, buying someone a meal or taking, baking someone cookies or just listening to someone share their story. Taking the time out of your day to just sit and talk with somebody. Go, going and checking on someone just to see how they're doing. Sending them a text, a phone call, an email, whatever. You see a need, you meet a need. It's all about us yielding. It's ultimately what, what humbling ourselves is all about. And, and what, what Jesus wants to have happen. It's something that we need to practice in our everyday life. How, how, can, I, how can I yield? You know, we go up to this roundabout out here and there's a yield sign. That means if there's another car coming, you hold off and let that car go past. It's, it's all about letting someone else have first place. And so we need to be, if we're going to be people that, that pattern our lives after Jesus and, and we're going to humble ourselves, we need to be actively searching for opportunities to yield in our everyday life. Yield to other people, see what the needs are in their life, and then doing what we can to meet those needs. We don't have to meet everyone's needs. We just have to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. That's it. It starts so small. But if we'll do that, we'll, we'll, we'll begin practicing, humbling ourselves. The more we do that, the more it will become natural to us. Because it's not. Because it's not. So number one, Jesus humbled himself. Number two, he served. He served. You can't be a servant without serving. So Jesus served. And here's the deal. For, for those of us that are Christ followers, those of us that say, we, we've been saved you need to understand something. Save people, serve people. Period. Save people, serve people. Period. We are never more like Jesus than when we serve someone else. He said it himself. The son of man didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many. I've come to, to seek and to save that which is lost. I've come to give up my life. It's not about me. It's about all of them. I've just come to be a servant to all. Save people, serve people. And when we serve, we become more like Jesus than, than ever before. To serve means to be useful or of service or to help. It's all about making a contribution or adding value to the lives of those that are around you. And here's what I've come to discover, particularly inside of the church. We want church to happen. We want the gospel to go forward. We want needs to be met. We want people to be cared for. Like, we will cheer all of, yes, those are great things. We want all of those things to happen. We just want someone else to do it. I want to be careful what I say next. Because I, I want you to know that I love you. Okay? And yes, this is an I love you, but... But as your pastor, I love you. But if the greatest contribution that you are making to the local church is the butt imprint you leave on the seat, that is problematic. (laughs) 
And unfortunately, there's a lot of people in a lot of churches. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not naming names. But the greatest contribution that they are making is just taking up space. It's problematic. It's not God honoring. It's not what we've been called and commanded to do. The simple fact is is that if you're not helping, you're not helping. If you're not helping, you're not helping. Jesus said, but among you, I didn't say this, this was Jesus. You want to get mad at somebody, get mad at him. Okay, I'm just reporting. Don't shoot the messenger. But this is a hill I'm willing to die on. Jesus said, but among you, among you who say that you are my followers, it will be different. And so let me be very clear. At Christ Walk Church, this is the expectation. From the street to the stage, everybody serves. Everyone. If that hurts your feelings, there are a lot of other great churches in this city that I could recommend to you. But here, we are going to be about what Jesus said. And among us, it's going to be different. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus served. Number three, Jesus sacrificed. This is a word we don't like. We don't like sacrifice because it means pain. It means difficulty. It means we got to get out of our comfort zone. But Jesus sacrificed it. And there's some fears that we have when it comes to sacrifice. The fear number one that we have when it comes to the sacrifice of being a servant is if I meet the needs of others, then who's going to meet my need? That's a very real question that we have. If I'm so focused on meeting the needs of others, then who's going to meet my needs? Well, well, what happens is, is, is I'm going to meet your need and you're going to meet their need and they're going to meet their need and their need and their need and their need. And eventually it comes back around to where my needs get met too. That's how the kingdom works is that we put others before ourselves. We see the need and we meet the need. It's why it take, it's not just about us. It's not, it's not the individual of Christ. It's the body of Christ. All working together. It's how it was designed. And so we just have to trust that God's way is the best way, which it is. And that if we'll put ourselves out there and we'll meet the needs of others and we'll focus on them, that it will come back around to us. Fear number two, if I'm going to serve, this is what people think. It's a fear that we have. This is natural. There's nothing wrong with with feeling this way. If I'm going to serve, it's going to cost me something. That is 100% wrong, okay? 100% wrong for you to think that way. If I'm going to serve, it's going to cost me something. The right way to think is if I'm going to serve, it's going to cost me everything. That's how we think about it. Not it's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me everything. Yes, salvation in Jesus is 100% free. But following Christ will cost you every single thing that you have. 
everything. It means you're going to have to show up early. It means you're going to have to stay late. It means that you're going to have to say no to some really good stuff so that you can say yes to what is best and what is greatest. That's what it means to make sacrifices for Jesus. J.H. Howitt said, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. See, here's, here's the deal. Here, here's what I, I, our, our natural propensity because of our sinful nature is we want the blessing, but we don't want the blisters that often accompany it. Sometimes the blessing looks like picking up a shovel and digging ditches. That's what it looks like to serve other people. And, and, but, but there's pain, there's, there's hurt, there's heartache, there's struggle, there's strife that goes along with it. But I would argue this morning that if there's no real evidence of sacrifice in your life, then you aren't truly following Jesus the way that you should be or the way that he intended there's no, if you're not giving up anything to follow Jesus, then you're not really following him. Because Jesus set the example. And his example included humbling himself, it included serving others, and it included sacrifice. He didn't just serve when it was convenient or when it felt good or when the lights were on and when everyone was watching. He served even when it cost him a sacrifice all the way to the cross. The last thing Paul points out, number four, Jesus humbled himself, he served, he sacrificed. Number four, he glorified God. He glorified God. Because Jesus humbled himself and because he was obedient to death on the cross, God elevated him by giving him the name above all names to which one day, very soon, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when you and I, when we choose to live this way, when we choose to honor God by serving others, it positions us to be elevated as well. But along the way, we realize that the point of humble service and and, an obedient sacrifice is not for our own gain, but rather for God and his glory to be revealed in and through us. This is what it means to live for something more. It's on that big banner right outside. What it means to live for something more means to empty self of self. And that it's not about me, it's about God's glory shining in and through my life. This is the kind of lifestyle that will inspire people to follow after Jesus. Because when you live this way, other people will say, hey, there's something different about that person. What is it about them? What is it about you? How, how is that happening in your life? And many of them, sadly, When they find out what it is, they won't be willing to follow. But some of them will. Because it's this kind of life, a true, authentic faith in Jesus Christ, as is portrayed by serving and sacrificing and walking in humility. It's appealing to the world around us that don't know Jesus. 
And the end result, Paul says there in verses 17 and 18, he says the end result of living your life this way is joy. On the front end, serving looks really hard. There's a reason it looks that way, because it is. But on the back end, we see, man, I couldn't imagine a life without this because it brings us so much joy. The blessing that we get out of serving someone else is often greater than the blessing they receive from us serving them. And when we serve others and and when we share in the sufferings and sacrifice of Jesus, the end result is joy in knowing that God is being glorified. Warren Wearsby says, there can be no joy in the life of the Christian who puts himself above others. The joy is found when we take second place and we put others before self. And if I had to sum all of this up into one big idea, I I would say this. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. A posture of selfishness says, my will. But a posture of servanthood says, thy will. A posture of selfishness says, my will. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. But a posture of servanthood says, thy will. God, it's all about you. So how do we become a servant? I'm going to teach you how really quickly. You've all got it within you. It's just a word. It's one word. It's a word you learned very early on in your life as a matter of fact. It's a word that sometimes we have a great deal of difficulty saying. You ready? How do we become a, how do we become a servant? One simple word. It's the word yes. It's the word yes. Yes. There, there's power in the word yes. Recently, I was talking with a gentleman that attends our church. His name is Jackie. Some of you may know him. He said... You know, Pastor Blake, I, I don't want to make light of the past, you know, year plus of this pandemic that we've walked through. But he said, prior to COVID taking place, my wife and I, my family, like we, we were coming to church faithfully and regularly. We, we, were, um, we were giving financially, but we weren't serving anywhere. And then the pandemic happened and the church went online only and we established some house churches in different places in our county that different people participated in. And and we approached um, Jackie and his wife, Tina, to host one of these house churches. And they were a little bit hesitant because they were thinking, why us? Like, what is it about us? Like, are we cut out for, I'm not sure we're cut out for leadership whatever, but after praying about it and thinking about it and talking about it, they said, yes, we would love to do this. I had the pleasure of visiting that house church a number of times, and man, the level of hospitality and excellence and um, the food, my goodness, the food. It was awesome. And, 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 And Jackie said, he said, it was out of that that I was able to develop relationships and and those got stronger and better, and we, we leaned into what was happening at the church. And, and I, I met another guy who was attending the house church, and now um, uh, Jackie and this other guy, they're, they're co-leading a life group for men 
together that meets on Wednesday nights. And, and Jackie and his wife, Tina, they've started serving on our guest services team. And, and he told me, he said, he said, I know that, the, that this, these past you know, 12, 14 months, they've been really bad for a lot of people. And he said, I don't want to make light of that at all whatsoever. But for me and my family, it's been a turning point in our life. All because we said yes. And it started this domino effect. There's, a, there's another lady that attends here at Christ Walk. Her name's Dawn. Many of you know her. Even if you don't know her, if you're in this room this morning, you have been impacted by the work that she does here. <laughs> she came to me several months ago and she said, the Lord's calling me to serve. She was already serving, but she said, the Lord's calling me to serve at an even greater capacity. And specifically, she said, the Lord is calling me to serve you at an even greater capacity. And she said, just tell me what needs to be done and I will do it. And she was telling the truth because I told her some crazy stuff and she was like, okay, and it was done. Like all over the place. Like, you know, sometimes you see her, she'd be running around like a, like a chicken with her head cut off, you know, like pants on fire, everything. And she's just doing stuff. That's right. This morning, she was outside scraping up goose poop off of the sidewalk. This is what she recently posted on social media. She said, today I'm so excited to be starting a new adventure for God. All right, there's power right there in those two words. I officially accepted a position to join the ministry team on staff at Christwalk Church. I know God is doing great things in this church, and I'm so honored to be a small part of it. I get to, not I have to, I get to continue serving as guest services coordinator, but will also be taking on the role of ministry assistant. God has allowed me to step out of my comfort zone and do so many things. I can't wait to see what he has in store for my life, as Pastor Blake says, because of Jesus. The best is yet to come. God asked, and she said yes. And now she's joining our staff next week. She starts tomorrow. It's awesome. And then I can't talk about servanthood without talking about my mamaw. She's listening to me preach from heaven this morning. Um, My mamaw, my, my dad's mom, she served in the nursery at her church for over 40 years. That's Four zero, four D, four decades. Longer than the Hebrews wandered in the wilderness. <laughs> My mamma. That's 40 years of formula bottles and Cheerios and goldfish crackers and strained peas. That's 40 plus years of spit up and runny noses. That's 40 plus years of changing dirty stinky diapers of someone else's kid. Your own kid's bad enough. Listen to this. That's 40 plus years of rocking fussy babies and then their fussy babies and then their fussy babies. That's what that looks like. That she had babies in her arms that grew up to have babies that were placed in her arms. That grew up to have babies that were placed in her arms. 
That's 40 plus years of faithfulness. That's the hands and feet of Jesus. To kids and families. That's a legacy that I'm part of. I stand here today because my mamma rocked those babies in that nursery all those years ago. She had an impact on generations with an S. She didn't do it for a plaque on the wall. She didn't do it for any sort of accolades. But she did it just because there was a need and she said yes. She said, I can use my gifts to meet that need. She served faithfully, consistently, joyfully. And she loved each one of those kids as if they were her very own. And after 40, we couldn't remember, I talked to my dad, it was either 43 or 45 years when she finally had to stop serving in there for a number of different reasons. They named the nursery after her. My challenge to you this morning is serve somewhere for so long, so faithfully, so consistently, so joyfully that you force the hand of someone else that they have to name it after you, that they don't have any other choice. This is the power of yes. It reminds me of this song that we used to sing in church back in the day. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. I'll get there in a second. Hold on. (laughs) To your will and to your way, I'll say yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me. With my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. That's what it means to serve. That's what it means to serve. That's what it means for servanthood to be our posture is that we simply say yes. If you're ready to say yes, and you want to jump into serving here at Christ's Walk, there's a really easy way for you to do so. Simply visit our website, thechristwalk.com forward slash serve, and that'll get you started. We'd love to help you find a place, not just where a slot we can put a warm body, but a place that you can thrive and grow and develop and utilize your giftings, thechristwalk.com forward slash serve. That's all you got to do is say yes to God. And saying yes to him this morning, really, it begins with saying yes to a relationship with his son, Jesus. And if you're here this morning, you're watching with us online, and you've, you've never done that before, or you're ready to recommit your life, maybe for the longest time. One, at one time, you said yes, but for the longest time, you've been saying no, and you want to bring that back into right relationship. If that's you, you're here today, you're watching with us, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. We pray together, heads bowed, eyes closed, let's pray. You can just repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life.
Amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.